This is Eric Luton, pastor of the church at Ellerslie in Windsor, Colorado. The ministry of Ellerslie endeavors to once again see triumphant Christianity stride upon the stage of time, to see the church of Jesus Christ built strong to stand immovable in these times of sinking sand. We hope this podcast is an encouragement to your soul. If you would like to stream live or visit us in person or even support us financially, please go to ellersley.com to learn more. So I've begun a new series, uh, and it is about the reviving of a nation. So what I'm studying and what I'm going through is the idea of how a nation is stirred unto a renewed vigor and focus on the King of Kings. And the pattern for that, ironically, is the same as how an individual soul is stirred unto a revival and unto a renewed focus on the King of Kings, which shouldn't catch any of us off guard if we hang out here at Ellerslie, because that which is micro and personal is actually the same truths as apply to the macro and in the larger uh, elements like nations and worlds. They are impacted by the same truths, the same wisdom points, and God's word can function and hit us at the individual level and it can hit a nation. Uh, it's extraordinary in that uh, factor, and that's one of the ways that you know it's truth. It's transferable to every culture, every time in history, and every situation, small or great. It's God's truth. It works. It changes lives. So, fun name for this one, which uh, ha- you know, causes me to look back into my heritage, and that's the potato farmer. Uh, I have uh, family out, well, they, they've all passed away now, but I uh, had... Uh, two grandparents out in Idaho, uh, and ironically, uh, one of them, well, they, they both farmed, uh, and uh, one of them didn't actually do the farming, he just had farmland. The other was a farmer, and that's my mom's dad, uh, and a big hulking man. The other uh, grandfather I had was sort of slender and thin, I think of Eric Ludi. And uh, so I took after him, and my brother took after the big hulking farmer, which really bothered me. Uh, so my brother was all big and husky and, you know, had these big bones and, you know, always was just a little bit shorter than me. And I'm two and a half years older than him, too, so it was a huge problem. And then I got the slender physique, you know, where all the, the women in my life wanted to give me food to fatten me up. So uh, the potato farmer, I think this has the potential to be significant. Did you see the wrong date on there? Sorry about that, guys, if you're seeing this via stream. It is not December 27th, 2020. It is January 3rd, 2021. We have a new year on our hands, guys. Happy New Year uh, to all of you. The heritage of Eric Ludi. I'm half pastor, the Ludi side. It comes from seven generations of pastors. And I'm half potato farmer. That's the Obendorf side. And so uh, that's, I have two, I don't have a lot of, you know, sometimes you have a a really good name and then you marry into an awkward name. Uh, This is like, I went from, you know, my choices, if I could be Obendorf or Ludi, I I don't really have a good choice in there, do I? Either way, I'm going to sort of come out funny looking. But uh, I'm, so this is a very unique thing for me because here I am a pastor, functioning as a pastor this morning with my message. But the potato farmer in me is going to come out, and that's what you're going to see. It's, it's deeply embedded, you know, Idaho potatoes. I mean, this is, this is part of my heritage. So there is my Grandpa Ludi uh, side. So for those of you that are getting this via audio, you're really missing something. And I just want to just remind you, you could have been here this morning to hear this in person and seen this picture. But that's my Grandpa Ludi's uh, brothers and sisters, right, or sister, uh, right there. And I asked my, my mom for a good old picture of my grandpa. I wasn't picturing the family picture, but she gave me two family pictures. So that's the uh, Grandpa Ludi's side. And then we have the Grandpa Opendorf side. Uh, the potato farmer. I, I, I wanted to, I had this one picture in mind when I asked her, and it was this one where he's out farming, sweating, and he's just this big, huge guy. That doesn't quite show it, but at least it gets you a little introduction to the, the Ludi family history. Even my kids are like, whoa, that, see, that's where you guys come from, too. Uh, I got some other pictures uh, that uh, Grandma sent me, so I'll have to show those to you. They're, they're really fun. Not you guys, but my kids. I was talking to my kids there. Uh, you guys remember Agnes Buchan uh, from South Africa? Uh, and so uh, what, what's the name of that movie? Uh, Faith Like Potatoes? And so what I did is I was going through this because I was pondering this, and then I recognized, I, I realized there was a movie 
on this exact point that I was actually bringing up because I was thinking about potato farming and the fact that the fruit of the potato uh, plant is unseen. And so as a result, when it comes to harvest time, you've never actually seen your harvest, but you have to grow it in faith. And so it's an interesting tension. And there's a great story in the, in the movie, it's a, it's a book, Faith Like Potatoes, uh, which is, took place down in South Africa. So I decided, since we had it uh, in our movie collection, I decided to just fast forward just to that part. And it was, I was deeply moved. And there were a couple quotes that came out of it. And this is one of them. Agnes uh, Buchan said, potatoes are like maize, which is corn. With maize, you can see it. With potatoes, you need faith. And so the reason I'm bringing this up today is we're talking about the reviving of a nation. And last week we dealt with what I call the superhero glasses. It's perspective. You could look at the circumstances in this world today with human glasses on. You could. And you could despair pretty quickly. I mean, it's, it's rather dark, especially if you're coming from a Judeo-Christian worldview right now. This isn't looking good. The, the trajectory of our nation is decidedly bad And yet, if you put on the God glasses, the heavenly perspective, you see all that the enemy means for evil being turned to good. God always has the upper hand. God always has checkmate just waiting to be played. God is greater than anything you see in this earth. And that's the heavenly perspective. And that's what we were dealing with last week as the basis for how reviving takes place. It's a shift of perspective. It's a shift of in the way we are intending to live our life and what we expect out of our life. So if we're potato farmers, what do we need? We need faith. You see, we're not growing corn here, guys. We're growing potatoes. Remember, that's what this message is about. It's part of my heritage. It's not to just be a pastor, but to be a potato farmer. So I think it it works well. So here's the other quote, and I, I really like this. And if you've hung around me in the last 24 hours, I've mentioned this quite a few times. I, didn't, I don't know that I gave credit to Agnes Buchan for it, but I'll do that this morning. The condition for a miracle is difficulty. For a great miracle, it's impossibility. Boy, do I like that quote. Let's just linger there for a little. I'm going to read it again because I really like it. The condition for a miracle is difficulty. For a great miracle... It's impossibility. You see, when you move into the impossible zone, it's God's territory. This is where God shines. He is the God of that territory, the God of the impossible. Most of us don't want to go into that territory, though. Let's just be honest. It's like, God, I don't even like difficulty, let alone impossibility. In America, I would say we've sort of stepped over the line from extreme difficulty into impossibility. Some of us have felt that, like it's going darker. And, you know, we're, we're well-wishers for this country. We love our country, but wow, we've, we've stepped into something that seems impossible. This is God's territory, guys. This is when we as the church respond as the church. One of the reasons I really can't stand those end-time movies that were made in the 70s is because they don't represent the behavior of the church in the darkest hour. So they have these Christians who are screaming as they're being led off to be killed because of their faith. That is so opposite Christian history. Christian history showcases Christians that start to get giddy with excitement. It's my time to go? Are you serious? This is about as exciting as it gets. They're outward in their focus. They're thinking about everyone around them. They're not thinking about sparing their own life. They're thinking about the privilege of giving it. Very big difference. We as Christians, when we move into the impossible zone, get closer to God, our faith begins to shine forth, and that's what sets us apart from everyone else on earth. The rest of the world goes down in the dumps in such a moment. We as Christians grow 10 feet taller because we know who is in control. Do you know who is in control? So it's time to do some potato farming. Okay, guys, you've been farming corn in your Christianity, all right? And as long as you're farming corn, it's still hard, right? Because that's, that's difficulty. And, but you've been faithful, you've been standing strong, but God wants us to move to a better crop, okay? Potatoes. 
He's wanting to progress us. It's funny because in, in Idaho, my, my grandpa did farm corn too. But I'm going to de-emphasize that and emphasize uh, the potato side because that's in my heritage, remember? Uh, so it's time to do some potato farming. Farming in the difficult territory, we'll call that maize farming or corn farming. But farming in the impossible zone is potato farming. And this is what God has built us for. God has built us to ask for things that the world would snicker and laugh at. It's like, are you serious? You're actually asking for that? I remember this story about George Mueller coming to a ship captain. They were in this dense fog, and he needed to get to Quebec, Canada to speak. And so he comes up to the ship captain. He says, I need to, uh, by the way, sir, I need to be uh, at my speaking appointment by Saturday. Uh, And the ship captain says, "Uh, sir, uh, I know you're a religious man, but do you see this? Uh, fog bank. We can't go anywhere right now. So he said, uh, well, let us pray then, because I have never missed a speaking engagement in 57 years. And so this ship captain's like, you've got to be kidding. We're going to pray. So George Mueller just kneels down right there and begins to pray. And uh, then he rises up. The ship captain's thinking, am I supposed to pray? Am I? And he puts his, George Mueller sticks his hand on the, the man's shoulder and says, please don't pray. Uh, first of all, you don't believe that God will answer. And second of all, I already believe he has. And uh, so let's step outside and we will see the fog is gone. Sure enough, the fog is gone. That's called potato farming, guys. <laughs> okay, when you're dealing with something that is impossible and everyone around you would attest to it, there's nothing that man can do. But there is something that God can do. You see, we are Christians. If anyone is going to believe right now in the greatness of God and the ability of God, it should be us in this room. Are you expecting someone else out there to do that? That's our privileged position. We have had the Spirit of God move upon us to shape something known as faith, to foster something known as faith inside of us so that we would be built for such an hour as this. This is the time to shine, not the time to hole up in a ball and to suck our thumb and to just hope it all goes away. This is potato farming. It's in, at least my heritage. Was it not in your heritage too? This is the heritage of the kingdom of heaven. This is the saints of God. This is what we have always been a part of. You see, with maize, you can see it. But with potatoes, you need faith. The impossible zone. Okay, let me just give you a few examples. That this nation would turn towards righteousness. Well, how's that going to happen? You see, if you even examine it at a deeper level, just logically, when a nation sponsors evil and accepts evil into its midst, the further along you get, the harder it is to turn around. It's sort of like momentum going downhill in a car. When you're going uphill, it's pretty easy to stop the car. You know, if someone's pushing a car up, uphill, it's pretty easy to lean against it and stop it, right? But when it gets to the crest of that hill and it begins to go down the other way, it begins to pick up something. And that momentum makes it harder and more difficult to stop it with every progressive foot of movement. So I don't know where you think we're at as a nation, but we are over that crest and we have some serious momentum going downhill. And as a result, if we were to examine the situation, we'd say, yeah, there's really no hope. And so, hey, God, could you push that car back up the hill and down the other side? Well, that would be wishful thinking, wouldn't it? And yet, this is impossible territory. You know that God has actually done this multiple times in our history as a nation? That's what's extra interesting. We just lose sight of it. The the two great awakenings that have happened in this country, actually, there was a decadence there was a darkness that was seeping into this country at a very, very high level. There was a corruption that was moving in, and God did something to turn it. There's even precedent in our country, and even if there wasn't, we don't have to have precedent in our country's history to know that there's precedent in Scripture. And even if we didn't have precedent in Scripture, we have precedent in the nature of God. I mean, Elijah raised someone to life when no one else had ever been raised to life, I mean, he didn't need precedent. He just says, this is God. God's leading me to do it, so hey, come back to life. Whoa! You see, we need to be bigger in our faith right now. This is our hour to step forward because it's the impossible zone. Here's another example. That the church in America would regain its upright posture and spiritual aggression towards lost souls. 
I heard an analysis of the difference between liberals and conservatives, that liberals are aggressive with their ideology, and conservatives are passive, they're placating. In other words, they believe it, but they're not trying to ruffle any feathers. And so as a result, incrementally, they keep taking steps backwards. They're not going to just open the door and let liberalism take over, but they're sort of allowing the door to slowly open. And then slowly it creeps in. But at least, you know, we're able to say we're keeping most of the living room. Okay, we have a little less, but we have still some of the living room. Okay, we still have the couch. All right, we still have the right side of the couch. All right, we still have, you know, a little corner of the right side of the couch. The difference, Christianity throughout history between what it is now and what it used to be is the church was bold to shove anything that's in the living room out and then to go outside and take the territory for Jesus Christ. We're going into other living rooms and taking couches. How does that work? And it doesn't even even sound offensive. It sounds awkward to all of us. It's like, oh, we wouldn't ever do that. That's exactly right. That's our thinking. That's our mentality because it's rude in our mind. Is it rude to allow someone to go to hell? We can all answer that question. Is it rude for us to allow someone to live in their darkness and to die believing that they're correct when in actuality they were living in rebellion to the living God. We have been entrusted the commission of the Most High God and we have been passive with it. So what would it take to actually cause the church of Jesus Christ in this country to regain its upright posture and to gain spiritual aggression towards lost souls? You almost want to chuckle at that. It's like, oh yeah, like that's going to happen. I mean, I've been around the church a long time. And if you've ever heard my analysis over the past decades since I've been in ministry, I mean, closing in on 30 years, right? And since I've been in ministry, the church has gotten weaker and weaker and weaker, which you could look back at me and say, well, Eric, maybe it's because of you. (laughs) I mean, you've been a leader in this thing. It doesn't matter how much I have invested, the church seems to just fall to pieces It's getting weaker and weaker. And that can dishearten someone very quickly to the point where like it doesn't matter what we do, nothing's changing. And the longer you hang out in that type of place, the more likely you are to become passive to deterioration. When you've been hanging around as long as I have and you've seen 30 years of deterioration, it's pretty easy to see 31 years of deterioration. Instead of drawing a line in the sand and saying no more, You're not taking one more inch of the church of Jesus Christ, Satan. In fact, we're pushing back and taking it all. We're getting back the posture of the saints of God, the upright stand of the kingdom of heaven in this world. We're going after your territory now. No longer are we giving up ours. What's it going to take for that to happen? Well, some potato farming. I think we're dealing with something that's about impossible. I think it could easily fall into that category. And yet, that's God's territory. So this is what I covered last week. Philippians 2.5. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. So you look at the circumstances out there, and you choose the glasses that you're wearing. Are you wearing the first man glasses and looking at the situation? Oh, boy, this is terrible. Oh, I can't believe this is happening. Mm -hmm. Doesn't that sound like a few quotations that have come out of our mouth? Oh, this is horrible. Oh, no, it's all lost. I can't believe we're forsaking this. Yes, it's, it's terrible, right? Or you put on God's glasses. What a great opportunity for God to show his power. Wow, watch what my God is going to do. We need to make sure that we have God's glasses on right now. So that's the first stage of development for the reviving of this nation, is the church needs to see things through the lens of faith and not the lens of earthly uh, perspective. Impossibility. So this is where we begin to move into the next phase of how reviving of a nation takes place. You see, we are moving into a dimension of impossibility into our culture, in our culture, where for many of us, you know, some of you may listen to this months, weeks, years from now, and not fully be able to remember or maybe even knew of what was taking place in the first week of 2021 in the United States of America. But right now, if we were just to assess it, it's really bleak and it's really dark. And 
it appears that the enemy is winning or is going to win. It would appear, okay, according to natural man reasoning. However, this is where potato farming comes in. I believe that my God is greater than all of this nonsense out there. I don't care what the natural realm showcases. Lazarus was in grave claws and in a tomb. And Jesus said the sickness will not end in death. So what do you believe? Do you believe Lazarus is going to come back to life? Or do you believe that, that death is going to win? Well, you know the answer in that one because well, you've read the end of that story. However, you don't know the end of this story. So don't try and fill in the last chapter in your mind without God. Despair is the removing of God from the story. But when you once again stick God square where he belongs in the story, watch what God does. Our God is faithful and true. Don't forget that now. We're potato farmers. We don't farm corn like the rest of those people out there with their little faith. We have to have real faith to do what we do. We're the church of Jesus Christ, and God allows our crop to sometimes go underground, and we can't see it. We can't see the effects of our praying and our, and our, and our farming work. We can't see it. So we're called to be patient. We're called to wait. We're called to long suffer. We're called to keep standing strong even though we can't see it. But God, I've watered, I've weeded, I've watered, and I've weeded, and I've watered, and I've weeded. And God says, do you trust me? Because beneath that dirt, I'm doing something. But God, it would be nice if you just allowed one of the potatoes to just sort of fly up into the air and I could see it. Just sort of give me a hint that you're doing something. Don't you feel like God has been extra silent here in this country for the past couple months? I mean, it's like eerie how silent he's been. It's like, God, could you give us a little encouragement? Just a little. I mean, I would go, I mean, just a little encouragement would take me a long way. And it's not, it seems like God's almost like, no, we're turning down the dial on encouragement all the way to zero for a while. How you doing there? How, how you doing, church? Do you still believe? Do you still believe that I am God? Do you still believe that I'm in control? Do you still believe that truth is truth, that righteousness is righteousness, that justice is justice? Do you still believe that I am light and in me is no darkness at all? Do you still believe that greater is he that is in you than he that is in this world? Do you believe that when the enemy comes in like a flood, I will raise up a standard against him? Do you believe? That's, this is our hour. Do we believe? That's the question. I, Eric Ludy, believe that my God sits enthroned at the right hand of majesty and all things are beneath his feet. I do believe that my God is in control. I do believe my God is greater than all the mischief, all the nonsense, all the evil being perpetrated in this country right now. And I believe that God is hearing our prayers. What is revival? So in a general sense, not just talking about the way that we oftentimes interpret it, because we have this term and we use it in the church. And it's been misused in the church, by the way. There's some weird revivals. I'm going to put quotations around that. Out there in the earth right now. What is revival? Just as a word. It means when something regains its original life, passion, excitement, and enthusiasm. This is what we need. We as the church need to regain our original life, passion, excitement, and enthusiasm. We need to regain our form, the way God intended us to function, to think, to live, to act, to speak. I had, we were, yesterday in our prayer time, I was dealing with like impossible prayers. Like, guys, this wasn't in my prayer outline, but we're, let's go and let's start dishing out some impossible prayers. And one of my prayers at the very end was like, I have one, I have one, and it's just burning a hole inside my soul. I want all of these masks to disintegrate. I am sick and tired of masks. Why? Because they hinder communication. I know why they're there, and they're hindering the church of Jesus Christ from our function. And I, you know, even if they end up being here for the next, you know, five years, we as the church need to begin to live as if they're not there. We need to live as if, even if I have a mask on, I don't have a mask on. We need to get back our form and our boldness and our strength. We need to begin to speak to people without shame. So how about a revival in the church of Jesus Christ? So historically, this is a term we have used. We've used the term, term revival. Now, 
My definition for it is going to be the old school version. I'm going to go back to you know, things like Leonard Ravenhill, and you're going to hear him describe revival, and I'm going to say amen. And then there's some revivals in the modern day, which I'm going to say, <clears throat> if there's an opposite word than amen, I'm going to whip it out right now. Uh, Non-amen? <laughs> I don't amen that. <clears throat> so it's when the body of Christ is brought again to its, to its proper intensity for obedience to and purity in Jesus Christ. We get back our form. So let's walk through each of these. Intensity four. What would it look like if you had intensity for Jesus Christ? Listen to this quote. This is worthy of all my energy, all my hours, all my days, all my talents, all my resources, all my time, all my life. When you see Jesus for who he truly is, it consumes you. It's everything to you. I'm going to read it again, guys, and I want you to be measured against this. I'm not against you feeling uncomfortable today as I go through this list. That's the whole point, is if revival is going to take place in this nation, it needs to take place in us. You didn't expect revival to skip the church, did you, and land squarely in this country. The church is passive, it's, not, it's prayerless, and it's faithless, and yet God is going to skip the church and suddenly awaken this nation. He uses, and it's his delight, for whatever reason, he delights to use the church. This is how he does it. He moves the church in this direction, where our intensity for him actually is recalibrated, so that we recognize that Jesus is worthy of all my energy, all my hours, all my days, all my talents, all my resources, all my time, all my life. How about this one? What does it look like when we are once again brought back to that place of obedience to Jesus Christ? Obedience, it's such a lost concept in American Christianity. It's more like, well, if I feel like it, I'll do it, as opposed to what did God ask? Okay, but I don't feel like it, but I'll still do it. Why? Because I'm obedient. If a child is being obedient, it's not because they feel like doing it, it's because they were asked to do something and they need to do it, right? An obedient child doesn't measure their feelings on it. They do it because it's what they were asked to do, and they're obeying. As Christians in this country, we have grown soft around the middle, and we have allowed a certain decoy version of Christianity to supplant the real version, which is one like, well, I don't feel like that. That doesn't really match my personality. That isn't the way I like to do things, as opposed to the Christian version, what God asks, he gets. So listen to this. Whatever he asks me to make right, I will. Whatever he asks me to confess, I will. Whatever he says needs to go, it will. Whatever he says needs to be added, it will. Whoever he asks me to share the gospel with, I will. And wherever he asks me to go, no matter the suffering and the difficulties that may attend the action, I will go. This is a reviving of us. We are being brought back to a place of obedience. Instant obedience, not delayed. Delayed obedience isn't obedience anyways. My mom would say, Eric, turn off the Atari. Uh, It's time for dinner. You know what my statement was? Just a second. I'm in the middle of a game. And then my mom would say, Eric, didn't I ask you to turn off the Atari? It's dinner time. Just a second, uh, just a second, I'm I'm almost finished here. Or then the next time, it's like, I'm right near my high score. I can beat my my record. Okay, then my mom finally got so frustrated as dinner was cooling on the table, and she said, Eric, I'm going to count to three. One, two, what do you think happened at three? I was obedient. Was I obedient? No, I was disobedient. The whole time. And until there was a threat of punishment, I did nothing. That is actually a decoy for obedience. If you're waiting for God to strike you with lightning before you actually do something, you are not obedient. And by the way, God doesn't count to three. That isn't isn't the best model for parenting. God gives you an opportunity. Please, will you do for me what I've asked? Our answer is, yes, Lord. Purity in. 
So purity in Jesus Christ, what would this look like? Search me, O Lord, and know my thoughts. If there be any wickedness in me, expose it. If there be any motive in my soul that is ulterior to your agenda in my life, bring it to the surface that I may get rid of it. If there be any habit that is undermining my singular devotion to you, eradicate it. Do you have the guts to pray that prayer? You see, when God is getting a hold of our life, we don't want to be hospitable to anything that is unlike him. And so it is a driving desire for us to be pure. Even if we have to get uncomfortable and we have to acknowledge that we were wrong, even if we have to go up to people and say, this was incorrect, will you please forgive me? The way that God changes an individual life is that there is an intensity for, an obedience to, and a purity in Jesus Christ that begins to awaken and stir within us. How does a revival come about? First, there are two key participants in revival, God and man. I, know, I don't know who you were thinking I was going to bring up, you know, God and your dog. No, you are actually a participant in this. A lot of us think that revival is a mysterious movement of God. It has nothing to do with us. When in actuality, God is going to liken reviving and this stirring and this awakening, this sharpening of the human soul to farming. And you see, a farmer needs God, but a farmer also has something to do. And if a farmer does what a farmer is supposed to do, you know what happens? He yields a crop. But if God doesn't intervene when the farmer is doing what he ought to do, then his crop won't prosper. Why? Because he needs rain. He needs sun. There are certain things that that farmer is dependent upon, and this is why this is an incredible picture. It's potato farming is what it is. God's saying, you do what I've asked you to do, I will do what I've promised to do. I will do my part, says God. The question is, are you willing to do what I've asked of you? The principle of reviving. God will when man tills. God endows when man plows. God endues when man pursues. I'm just showing off a little of my poetry here. But that's the principle. In other words, God will actually do his part when man does his part, but I've asked you to till the field. God, could you till it for me? Classic American Christian statement. God, why don't I have a harvest? Well, you didn't actually till the field. What? Why do I need to do that? That's works. You see, we have excused ourselves under this false banner of works righteousness instead of recognizing that the Christianity is found in a total dependency upon Jesus Christ and then trusting his word. And when he says to this newly redeemed Eric Ludi, I want you to get up and do this. We do it by the power of the Holy Spirit. That's not self doing the work. That's the Spirit of God literally animating this and me being in agreement with it to do the work of God on this earth. Four key ingredients in every revival. This is what you're going to study. If you study historic revivals, you're going to see that men were praying. You could add women in there. People were praying. The church is praying. And then what's, what's also happening? Men are obeying. When you see a local revival, like say we were revived in here and something stirred in here, the Spirit of God moved in such a way where we were animated we were brought to life. We went to our face and we wept and we confessed sin and then we rose up with a gleam in our eye. What's the next thing we do? We begin to go into this world. You see, there's something we begin to do. We have something and we recognize the importance of it afresh. So therefore, what do we do? We carry it. We carry it into this world. So men praying and then men obeying and what happens? God begins to respond to this. You see, technically God's the one that was moving to make us pray in the first place, right? He's the one inspiring all of the action in the first place, but he's going to inspire the action. The action is there on man's part. Man is farming. We're planting, we're preparing soil, we're planting seeds, we're watering it, we're weeding it, we're doing what farmers do, and then God says, I'm gonna bring an increase. God will do his part. It's a guarantee. It's called the laws of farming. And then the church is going to activate because of this. Little known fact about revivals. A revival isn't supposed to be a mysterious move of the Holy Spirit. Rather, it's supposed to be the obvious and expected response of a God who has promised and cannot lie. See, when you put God's response into some mysterious category, it's just like, well, 
God's God, he can do whatever he wants, which I'm not saying isn't true. God is God and he can do whatever he wants, right? But he also is held to his promise, to his nature. He can never violate that. And so as the church, we have a hold on God in that sense. We have a hold on God's promises. We can ask in accordance with his will and it will be done. And so when he sets forth a pattern and he says, you take this uh, Potato, I think they actually use potatoes to plant potatoes. I'm not exactly sure. I've, I've, I'm not a, well, I have in my heritage potato farming, but I'm not necessarily an expert on potato farming. I should have studied potato farming a little more in detail before I got into this message. But, so, I could till the field, I could put my seed down, or my little potatoes, I'm not exactly sure how it works, and then I could cover it over, and then I could take care of the, the ground, because I was trained as a potato farmer, right? And if I do... What I'm supposed to do, what is my expected result? Potatoes, a harvest of potatoes. Is that an unrealistic expectation? Am I loony because I'm thinking that by doing according to the laws of potato farming, I would reap a crop of potatoes? It's not mysterious when potatoes show up in the soil. It's actually a natural result of a supernatural obedience. This is actually what we expect as the church. If we do this, God will do his part. Guaranteed. It's not wishful thinking, it's called faith. Faith is based on facts, not on wishful thinking. This is not the power of positive thinking. Potatoes, potatoes in the soil, potatoes in the soil, potatoes in the soil. This is based on clear promise, clear actualities, that if I do what God has asked me to do, he will do what he has promised. The laws of farming. So when a farmer does, a farmer has a role in all of this. A farmer doesn't just stay in his living room and pray. A farmer actually has to go out into the field and do. It's the combination of the two. A faith-filled farmer prays and does. And as a Christian, if we're after revival in this nation, there's a combo package of praying and doing. So when a farmer tills, plants, waters, weeds, waters, weeds, waters, weeds, and waits, 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 and waits, then comes the life, the harvest, the bounty. It's not mysterious. It's God's built-in response to man doing as God has told him to do. A farmer's obedience to the laws of farming equals a great harvest. Can't tell you how many times we have been short of finances here at Ellerslie. I uh, wish I could say it's only happened once or twice, but it's happened many, 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 many times that we have run through this. And yet, there's laws of farming. So, Ellersley, here's what I'm going to ask of you. Could you put your trust in me? You focus on me. You seek first my kingdom and my righteousness. I'm going to take care of you. Every time. Should we be shocked? It's funny because we still are shocked. Uh, every, God comes through and we're like, Whoa! <laughs> I don't know how, why we are, because it's not mysterious in that sense. It's just mysterious in how he's going to supply every time. However, it's not a mystery that he is going to supply. Why? Because he's promised to. He's Jehovah Jireh. The Lord God will provide. So, therefore, it's not a mystery that God is going to do it. It's fact that God will do it. God is faithful and true, and he has given his word. He has promised so James 5, 7 is going to refer to this. It says, be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. So the coming of the Lord could be defined with a capital C, like the coming in the clouds of Jesus, or it could be just that thing that you're needing right now. Like in America, we need the coming of the Lord. We could all be honest and blunt about that. We need God to intervene. So what does it say? It says, be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains. He's talking about some potato farming here. You see, you need God to bring forth a crop, but there's certain limitations a farmer has. You can't like rip your product, or your, your crop out of the field and hold it up to heaven and say, God, you have to let it stay. In fact, I'm if some of you don't know that, you don't want to take your crop out of the, the dirt until it's ready to be harvested, right? But a lot of us want to yank things out of God's hands prior to the point where he says it's ready to be harvested. God says, I need you to wait. So the command here is be patient. So what does that mean? 
So the word is makrothameo. Isn't that a fun word? Uh, makrothameo. I should add some to it. Makrothameo. But it means be patient, to be long-spirited. Isn't that an interesting word? To be long-spirited. In other words, to be able to go the distance with something. To bear or to suffer for a long time. To be long-suffering. To have long patience. You see, many of us have had patience in our life, and God's cultivated that. But have we allowed God to cultivate long patience? Isn't that a weird term? Long patience? God, I don't, I'm really struggling with patience, let alone long patience. But this is what the word makrothameo is. Have long patience, therefore, brothers. You see, God is going to come. He is going to do because it's the laws of farming. God comes through, guaranteed every time. Be patient, patiently endure, to be of a long spirit, not to lose heart. Isn't that interesting? That's baked into the word. In other words, you go the distance without flagging, without failing, without flopping to the side, without despairing. Why? Because God is still in the story. Despair is when you remove him from the story. So you wouldn't do that. You have Makrothameo. To persevere patiently and bravely in enduring misfortunes and troubles. So throughout all of it, you get the bad news, bad news, bad news, and you stand taller. But watch! And like, Eric, you have to get discouraged now. Did you hear? But watch! Eric, did you hear the latest? But watch! It gets hard, guys. Believe me, I've lived in this skin for a long time, and I can tell you many stories where it's hard to have a long patience. But God is faithful. James 5.8, you also be patient. Makrothameo. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. So here's another part of the laws of farming. Be patient and establish your hearts. This is stridzo is the word. To establish, to make stable, place firmly, set fast, fix, to strengthen, make firm, to render constant, confirm one's mind. It's funny, but to establish your heart and to remain firm, you know sometimes one of the best things you can do to help with that is to not listen to the news. Isn't that a funny statement? Because it's like, how can I know what's going on if I don't listen to the news? One of the greatest things to throw you off balance is to hear bad news over and over and over again. You know the Bible is full of good news? So if you focus on the good news and the promises of God and his ability, even though the storm clouds aren't there, they're always over in the state next to you and there's, there's huge flooding over there and you have drought where you're at. It's like, God, could you bring a little of that over here? But to remain focused that God is faithful, he'll bring forth the crop, he's going to do what he's promised to do. Right now we have, depending on how you want to look at it, a flood of evil and a drought of righteousness in our country. I don't know how you could have both of those at the same time, right? But that's the way it feels. It feels like there's a parched earth in the church of Jesus Christ right now, where there's a lack of mobility and alliance and coordination of our limbs to rise up and represent truth in the midst of this time. And yet you feel like evil is coordinated and it's paid off everyone and it's, you know, blackmailed this guy and he has everyone silent and in position. It's like, come on, could someone break the conspiracy wide open here? Come on, someone, wake up! That's where we, we feel it. We're potato farming, guys. James 5.11. We count those blessed who endured. So all of the same context, you know, be patient, makrothameo, establish, you know, have that firm, establish the rizzo. Stand firm. Do not move from your position. We count those blessed who endured who had that makrothameo, who went the distance. These are blessed. Then it's going to give an illustration that most of us don't really want to have brought up in the midst of all this. You have heard of the endurance of Job and have seen the outcome of the Lord's dealings and that the Lord is full of compassion and is merciful. It got pretty dark for Job, and yet he held his ground and endured. This is precisely the model of Scripture right here. I know most of us don't really want to have Job be our pattern. It's like, God, could that be your pattern? Give me another pattern. <laughs> I don't want Job. Job's a great pattern. Job endured. He had a long patience. And in the midst of it, when he was supposed to uh, despair and he was supposed to give up and he was supposed to turn on God, instead he falls down and worships God. What are you doing right now? 
In the very moment where you're supposed to forsake God, you're supposed to suck your thumb, you're supposed to put down your faith and stop trying, what are you doing? Fall down and worship him afresh. Turn to the good news and rehearse it in your soul. How do we find revival right here? Let's heed the simple laws of farming. That's how we do it. Let's do what God has asked us to do. We will, in fact, reap a harvest. Personally, in our families, in this church, in this community, and in this nation. Guaranteed. I don't care how dark it is. I don't care how impossible it is. That's God's territory. God's the one that has led us this far. He's the one that has entrusted us with his truth. He did not forget his word. He did not forget his promises. He's the I am. He can't change. In him is no shadow of turning. If you knew him back then, he's the same today. However he has been established in the word of God is the way he is right now. God hasn't altered. God hasn't evolved. God hasn't shape-shifted. God didn't grow old and feeble, tired, worn out. God is very present right now and very intentional to say, listen to my word. Remember the truth. 2 Chronicles 7, 12 through 16, I think I've read this scripture oh, probably over 20 times in this past eight, nine, 10 months, whatever it's been. Good scripture. And the Lord appeared to Solomon by night and said unto him, I have heard thy prayer and have chosen this place to myself for a house of sacrifice. If I shut up heaven that there be no rain, or if I command the locusts to devour the land, or if I send pestilence among my people, if difficulty comes, if challenge comes your way, there's something you're supposed to do. You see, if all goes dark and it seems that evil is overruling this land, then I'm going to give you the laws of farming. I'm going to show you what to do in that hour, and I'll show you what I'll do in response. If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. Now mine eyes shall be open and mine ears attent unto the prayer that is made in this place. What's going on here? This is the dedication of the temple of God in the Old Testament. Huge event. Now, Paul in the New Testament is going to say, do you not know that you are the temple of the Holy Spirit? You see, all that we see in the Old Testament gets transferred in this miraculous way. Paul's as shocked by it as any of us. It's like, do you realize that this is now you? That the prayers made in this place. God's, this is what it says. Now my eyes shall be open and my ears attend unto the prayer that is made in this place. Promise. If my people who are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face, then, laws of farming, God guarantees his end. The question is, will we humble ourselves? Will we turn from our wicked ways? Will we do what we are required to do? For now I have chosen and sanctified this house that my name may be there forever and my eyes and my heart shall be there perpetually. Hosea 10, 12. Sow to yourselves in righteousness, reap in mercy, break up your fallow ground. For it is time to seek the Lord till he come and rain righteousness upon you. Boy, we need that righteousness to rain upon us. What are we supposed to do? Sow to yourselves in righteousness, reap in mercy, break up your fallow ground. That's farming terminology. If you're going to receive this rain, there's something you need to do. Get out the till and allow it to, cult, to cultivate this territory, to turn over the hardened ground that the winter has hardened and, damp and tampened down. We need this to be softened so that we can receive that rain of righteousness. Galatians 1.15. Doesn't this sound like the life that we have been in? But when it pleased God, when it pleased God to do what God was going to do, he did it. God, how about when it pleases me? Because that was a Actually, not even just a couple months ago. I think it was a few years ago where I finally came to the end and said, this nation cannot keep going in this direction. God, intervene. 
Uh, God, we're still going in that direction. God, intervene. God, we can't keep going. There's a cliff right up ahead. God, we can't keep going in this direction. But when it pleased God, God has his timing. His storyline is different than the way we would write it. I don't know if you've ever come to that conclusion in reading scripture. But there's so many things in scripture, it's like, I wouldn't have done that. No, that wouldn't have been how I would have thought it out. Boy, I would have never asked someone to do that. That's hard, God. And God delights in it. We also probably wouldn't have sent our only son to become sin, to become a curse for us. You see, God's ways are higher than ours. Listen to Oswald Chambers. As workers for God, we have to learn to make room for God, to give God elbow room. We calculate and estimate and say that this and that will happen, and we forget to make room for God to come in as he chooses. Would we be surprised if God came into our meeting or into our preaching in a way we have never looked for him to come? Do not look for God to come in any particular way, but look for him. That is the way to make room for him. Expect him to come, but do not expect him only in a certain way. However much we may know God, the great lesson to learn is that at any minute he may break in. We're apt to overlook this element of surprise, yet God never works in any other way. Sorry, we're missing an L in this word. All of a sudden, God meets the life when it was the good pleasure of God. Keep your life so constant in its contact with God that his surprising power may break out on the right hand and on the left. Always be in a state of expectancy and see that you leave room for God to come in as he likes. Two actions to start with. Simple expectancy and simple repentance. I've had seasons in my life where I have been sharper than others. And I think all of us could probably testify of that as we've lived our Christian life. There are seasons when that message that I just went through on revival is like, that's me, I'm revived. Now, I wouldn't say that I'm not revived right now. I'm, I'm pretty hot under the collar, under the spiritual collar right now. I am sharpened. I've seen God, God has corrected me so many times in the past month. You know, I'm, I'm supposed to try and be, you know, just focus on the family. It's supposed to be more of an easy time, and God's been convicting me all over the place. Like, how, do, how does a guy who is always repenting and making things right with God, how do I still have layers of conviction and repentance to walk through? It's, it's such a mystery, isn't it? It's not a shocker to me anymore. In fact, I delight in it because I know that God is near. He loves me, otherwise he wouldn't be convicting me. Praise God, I still have more to do and I'm not finished yet. And so in this process, I have recognized that there's times when I'm sharper than at other times. And there is a season I can remember back in my missionary days when I was uh, in missionary school and traveling the world uh, sharing the gospel. I remember expectancy was my buzzword, my byword. It's like the subtitle of my life, the expectant man. Eric Ludy, the expectant man. Every single thing, when I woke up, it's like, God, what do you have in store today? Every person I got in contact with, it's like, God, why did you bring that person across my path? God, why did that happen? Why did I have cheese on my hamburger today? I literally everything, I probably even over-evaluated things, but I was looking for God in everything. Every single situation, I expected God. And guess what? I found him all the time. And so some of you can say, oh, Eric, taken a little too far. Was I? Why is it that 50-year-old Eric, now I have to say that because I was 49 until uh, you know, a few weeks ago, now I'm 50, can you believe that? 50-year-old Eric, why is it that 50-year-old Eric wants more of that, what 20-year-old Eric was lugging around. I don't like it that 20-year-old Eric could ever outshine 50-year-old Eric in anything. No way, if this is a competition, I'm taking on 20-year-old Eric. There is no way a 20-year-old is gonna get me, right? But there's one area I would say my 20-year-old Eric may have me, and that is with expectancy, and I'm not gonna allow that to last one more day, which is why it got stuck in this message. Simple expectancy. Are you expecting God to come through? Simple laws of farming, guys. You do what you've been asked to do. God will do his part. Do you know that he has prepared works in advance for you? 
Do you know that he goes before you, behind you, that he's the provider, which means he sees ahead of time what you need. He also sees ahead of time what they need, what someone else needs, and he knows what you're carrying, which means he will orchestrate your life and theirs to bump into each other. Do not be surprised. Be expectant. Be anticipating God to be God. Second, repentance. Just repent. Turn from that selfishness. So bubbling expectancy is what I went through. That's what you call it. It's, like, it's, it's a giddiness of soul, just an expectancy that God is going to do something. Ask for it. Bold repentance. Do it. doesn't matter what you look like, what anyone thinks about you. You're going after God right now, people. So let's go through the classic lists of the sins of omission and the sins of commission. There's a lot more things that could be on these lists. But I just want you to allow the Spirit of God to freshly break up some fallow ground. Sins of omission. The word omission just means to omit or to not include. In other words, these are things we were asked by God to do, but we didn't do. So it's non-action or non-performance, as I say it there. Ungratefulness. In other words, we're supposed to be grateful, but we're not. We're ungrateful. That's, we're omitting something from our Christian behavior. So ungratefulness, not loving God, neglecting the Bible, not having faith, neglecting prayer, neglecting grace. In other words, instead of turning to God for supply, we turn to our own sufficiency. Unchristlike in the performance of spiritual duties. In other words, we've even done spiritual things, but without the power of God. We did them in our own human strength. How dare we do that? Don't we realize that that's only going to harm people when we try and do spiritual activities in human power? Lacking love for others, lacking care for lost souls, neglecting family duties, neglecting social duties, lack of watchfulness over thought life, lack of watchfulness over the spiritual state of others, lack of self-denial. I don't know how well you made it through that storm, but this is where we start. We start with bubbling expectancy and bold repentance. God wants to do something here so that we can impact the world out there. Sins of commission. These are things that were done by us. So they're actions. Thinking like the world. Proud in heart. Envious. Harsh toward others. Speaking evil of others. Lax towards sin. Lying. Deceiving. Cheating. We were hypocritical. Lustful. Choosing self-comfort over the service of God and others. Robbing God of time. Resource. Energy or obedience. We were bad-tempered. We hindered others in any in a way from seeking after God. I'm just going to finish with this meditation from Streams in the Desert. He, speaking of Jesus, spoke a parable unto them that men ought always to pray and not to faint. No temptation in the life of intercession is more common than this of failure to persevere. We begin to pray for a certain thing. We put up our petitions for a day, a week, a month, and then receiving as yet no definite answer, straightway we faint and cease altogether from prayer concerning it. I don't know if that just described how the church has been functioning even over this year. The church was roused to action multiple times throughout this year, but then it fainted because it doesn't seem like God is intervening, that God is doing anything. This is a deadly fault. It is simply the snare of many beginnings with no completions. It is ruinous in all spheres of life. The man who forms the habit of beginning without finishing has simply formed the habit of failure. The man who begins to pray about a thing and does not pray it through to a successful issue of answer has formed the same habit in prayer. To faint is to fail. Then defeat begets disheartenment and unfaith in the reality of prayer, which is fatal to all success. But someone says, how long shall we pray? Do we not come to a place where we may cease from our petitions and rest the matter in God's hands? There is but one answer. Pray until the thing you pray for has actually been granted or until you have the assurance in your heart that it will be. Only at one of these two places dare we stay our importunity for prayer is not only a calling upon God but a conflict with Satan. And inasmuch as God is using our intercession as a mighty factor of victory in that conflict, he alone and not we must decide when we dare cease from our petitioning. So we dare not stay our prayer until the answer itself has come or until we receive the assurance 
that it will come. We live in this time in history, and I think we need to recognize it as a great privilege. Let's marvel at the fact that God is going to show himself as God. We might as well get excited before it happens, right? The natural realm doesn't see it yet. But just like Elijah, hark, I hear the sound of an abundance of rain. It hasn't rained in three and a half years, Elijah. I hear it. I don't see any clouds. I hear it. Do you hear it? Do you hear the sound of an abundance of rain? Well, what are you supposed to do? Till the fields. Break up the fallow ground. Let's ready our fields for what God is desiring to do. Father, this is for you. This is a spiritual working of the Holy Spirit, and we need you to intervene. We need you to help and grant us grace for us to have that intensity for the obedience to and the purity in Jesus Christ. Lord, please revive us as a people. Revive your church. Revive this nation. We ask this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. This message was brought to you by the team at Ellerslie Discipleship Training. At Ellerslie, we are laboring to rouse the church of Jesus Christ out of its lethargy and build brave-hearted Christians for such a time as this. Listen to our weekend message live at 9 a.m. on Sunday mornings, or join us for Daily Thunder Monday through Friday at 8.15 a.m. For more information, go to live.ellerslie.com. We invite you to visit us at the beautiful Ellerslie campus in Windsor, Colorado for a day, a week, or an entire season of gospel-centered spiritual training. Learn more at ellerslie.com. Thanks for listening.